morning. How's everyone doing? Good to see everyone. Uh, I have a quick announcement. Uh, if you have anything in the kitchen, it is being cleaned out today. So don't get it today, it's gone, all right? You've been warned. It's gone after today. That was passed along to me, so. Blame Willie if you're mad. All right, so today, like it says, uh, we're going to talk about crucial conversations. Uh, I hope everyone had a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year coming up. It's the holiday season, so uh, a lot of students are out of town, uh, which is kind of nice because you get to talk to more people, right? We'll have some good fellowship as well. Uh, but I got to go up to Rimson, Iowa. I got to see my, see my grandparents, and um, it's funny because we, my my uncle, so my dad's oldest brother, it's a long story, but basically he moved to Pennsylvania and made his whole family Amish. And so when the kids become of age, they get to choose whether they are going to leave the community or lifestyle or not. And most of them have, so my grandma and grandpa haven't seen their grandchildren their whole lives. And every year, the holidays come, we get to see a, a new cousin every year or someone coming up. And it's weird because... I've never met these people before, and they're my cousins, and they kind of look like me, and we have the same blood, DNA, and but we are totally different, and we don't know each other at all. I mean, different in every way. And it's funny, but you can tell how far and how old they are based on their level of uh, social awkwardness and how they've been out of the community for so long. So the oldest one's maybe seven or eight years ago, and he reached out to the family, and now he's pretty good in conversation. He kind of knows how the world works a little bit, talking to everyone. Uh, but the newest one this year, it's like hard to put two sentences together and relate. So that's always fun, but it's so cool. It's so cool to see Grandma's face and seeing her grandchildren. And she saw them when they're babies, and then to see someone from two and now they're 18 years old is like just crazy. So um, that's always fun to see. So good old Rims in Iowa, where it smells like pigs all the time. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. <laughs> so this idea of crucial conversations, what we're going to do is thinking about Jesus. Jesus was a, a master conversationalist, right? He, uh, he was an amazing question asker. You would have a, a conversation with Jesus and it would, it would change your life. And the same goes for us as well. So what I want to do is we're going to have a two-part series. And I want to look at, we're going to look at two different things. Today we're going to look at John 8 with Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And just look at some lessons from Jesus and basically how to have, from Jesus' example, a life-changing conversation. All right? You guys with me? Yeah. So let's go to John 8. We'll start there. All righty. I'm going to read John 8, 1 through 11. Do you guys hear me all right? Says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap 
in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. They straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go and leave your life of sin. You guys have probably heard this or read this before. Let's see if I can get this to work. I'll be coming here soon. Um, but imagine this situation. There we go. You're, Jesus is, imagine being Jesus here and you're, you're teaching in the temple courts, right? Imagine like he's in front of people like this. And all of a sudden there's this woman that was caught at one of her worst moments, brought before him, maybe a, a sheet draped around her. And everyone's looking at Jesus, what do we do? It's a pretty intense scenario here. Jesus is immediately placed in the limelight. All eyes are on him. And he kind of is in a he's in a predicament. Because if he says yes to let her go, because they say, what, what do we do with her? If he says yes to let her go, he, he violates, like they say, he violates the law of Moses. He violates the Mosaic law. And he kind of appears to condone sexual morality. But if he says executor, he violates the Roman law because the Jews weren't allowed to execute someone without Roman approval. And the Pharisees knew this when they brought this woman before him. So he's kind of caught in this catch-22. And everyone's looking at him. And, and there seemed to be no right answer. And I love what, I love what he does. He kind of just kneels down and starts writing in the ground. And, and I imagine, I'm thinking, if I'm someone in the crowd, I'm thinking... Like, is he going to say anything? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Um, Jesus, did, did you hear him? Like, maybe he'll say it again, he'll speak up. Uh, I, I've, I have so many questions. Like, what did he write? You guys ever wondered that before? What did he write? Was, was he praying, maybe? What, was he asking God, like, what do I say in this scenario? Because I'm sure he was privy to what was going on here. I knew he was caught in this kind of predicament here. How long did they wait for his response? Hopefully in heaven one day, there's like a, a big screen. We can kind of look at the replay of everything. <laughs> See the highlights. And, and how long did it take? Like, was it, was it 10 minutes? Was it 10 seconds? Like, I have no idea. But they're just waiting, right? What were his emotions? What were his thoughts? How was he feeling? If I were Jesus, I would be, I'd be angry at these Pharisees. I'm over here trying to teach, trying to heal people, trying to spread the gospel. And they're putting me in this situation. We'll touch on that more in a second. But I love his response. And the point here is that he stayed calm. And so we're looking, we're taking lessons from Jesus. And a lot of times when we're faced with scenarios and something comes at us fast, 
maybe you're a student in school or something at work or in your personal life. I mean, over the holidays with family, it can be tough sometimes. Do you stay calm? I was taught this. You guys ever seen that before? Halt. If you're ever feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you should halt and stop and pray. Because usually one of those four things is going to be the source of your emotions, right? If you're hungry, yeah, get some food and then you'll be all right again. If you're angry, lonely, tired, usually, I'd say 99% of the time, one of those four things is why I'm feeling some type of way. And I learned that in college my freshman year, and I'm glad someone showed me that. I forget who even showed me it. But it's something I kind of go back to. Halt. And it helps me. And I think what Jesus did was he, I believe, and I hope, I think Jesus, he consulted God. He, he's, he's sitting there, and he's riding on the ground. And I, and I, I read a lot of stuff, and it's cool. Some people think that, some scholars say that he was writing down the list of people's names that were in the, the group around him, and he was writing their sins down as well, which applies down, which applies later to what happened. But I put myself in Jesus' position there, and I think he was praying to God, what, what do I do here? What do I say? How do I get out of this scenario? Because it seems like he can't get out, and he has the perfect response. But he stays calm. What about you when you're in those situations? What's your natural tendency? You tend to lash out. Maybe you're a conflict avoider. Either way, when you stay calm, just like Jesus did. Like I said, it's the holiday season. And family can be crazy. I know when I go home to my family, it's like I'm excited to see them. I'm still excited to see them. But it's like two hours in, I'm like, oh, this is tough. They, my siblings and my parents, and I'm sure I do too, but we know how to push each other's buttons like no other, right? Like, you know what makes that person angry, right? You know just how far you can go until they snap. That's what family does, right? And so over the holiday seasons, it's, it's hard. I feel like, oh, I don't want to do this. I, I can't keep my head in this scenario. Oh, I just need to go get some air. Do you keep your head? Maybe you need to do a little draw in the sand, right? <laughs> You're in a conversation. You just kneel down and start drawing the sand. What are you doing? Just do what Jesus did. Have you prayed on it? Keep calm. Jesus took a second and prayed, so should we. So that's the first point, first little practical. Second one is see the heart. I'm going to read John 8, 7 through 9 again. It says... When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. His response is awesome. If, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. What, what a remarkable reply. Or reply. He, he, he turns the responsibility back on the crowd, right? It's like, so remember here, 
He, yes, he avoids the trap, but I think what I love about this is he gets to the heart of the issue, of what's actually going on. Well, the, the situation was these Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. They were prideful. They thought they were better than this woman and really everyone else, quite frankly. And they would do whatever it takes to keep their power. Because Jesus came in and Jesus was messing up their status quo. And they loved to walk in and the pageantry and the pomp and everyone look at them. and oh, But everyone's looking at Jesus now and they're not looking at us. Well, what can we do? How can we manipulate this situation so we can take Jesus down and we can regain our position again? And Jesus saw right through that. And what Jesus was basically saying is, when he says, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. He's saying, you are no better than this woman. You're no better than this woman. She messed up, yes, which he addresses, but you're no better than her. You aren't, you aren't concerned about the righteousness of the law. You don't care. What you care about is losing how people see you. Losing your image and losing your power. And what's crazy is when he says that, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Who was the only person that could have thrown a stone there? It was Jesus, right? And I love how it says the older ones left first and then slowed to the younger ones. The older ones have maybe come in contact with, I'm mortal, I'm uh, I'm messed up, us young and prideful people think we're all that. It takes us a little bit longer, so thank you for the example. And But I love his response here, and he gets to the heart. So, how can we apply this to us, right? How can we see the heart? Jesus wants your heart, not just the action. So, it's not about how many people you reached out to this week, but it's about do you have compassion for the lost? It's not about never missing a church service, but rather, do you see the need to be with the body of Christ? That I'm not with my bro- if I'm not with my brothers and sisters, there's something missing my family. It's not about reading the Bible front and back a hundred times and knowing it and flaunting it like the Pharisees did, but rather it's realizing how desperately you need to be connected to God. And what's funny is when you realize the heart, those actions flow from that. You will reach out. You you won't miss church. And you're going to read and pray consistently. Because when your heart's there, the actions flow from that. And Jesus got that. Thank goodness he did. Also, I think we need to call call out and disciple people on where their heart is at. Just because someone's at church doesn't mean their heart's in the right spot. That takes more than just a, hey, how's it going? It takes a, how's it going? How's it really going? There's a difference, right? Hey, how's it going? Now, how's it going? It's all about the voice inflection, right? It takes a lot of questions. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. It doesn't take rushing out for lunch right away after the service. It takes time. Jesus trained his disciples for 
three plus years, and he was preparing them for maybe like the most noble cause you can think of, of, of starting up his kingdom, right, and his church. And when I look back to that, he, he didn't exactly walk them through step by step on what was going to happen through everything. Even in Acts 1, when, when Jesus is going up into heaven, they ask, are, are, Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Is it going to happen? He's like, you'll know. The Spirit will help you out. You'll know. You're like, I'll know what? Like, you're leaving, dude. What am I going to do? But rather, he taught them to love. He taught them to forgive. How to work hard. How to labor. And how to serve. And put themselves lower. Let's focus on the wise. And when you know you're wise, the what's follow. Get to the heart of the situation. Realize what's going on. It's like when you cut off the weed, if you don't get the root of it, it's just going to come back again. So let's go after the heart in our conversations and in our lives just like Jesus did. And the final one is he spoke the truth. I'm going to read verse 10 and 11 again. You guys with me? All right. Don't be afraid to give me some feedback. There it is. There it is. All right, 10, 11. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Sorry, my throat's a little sore. So imagine you're this woman here. You're caught, you're brought before the creator of the universe, you maybe have a, a sheet around you, you're embarrassed, everyone's looking at you, your worst moment is kind of broadcasted before the world to see. She's probably thinking, man, this is it, surely this is it, I, I deserve this, almost maybe flinching and preparing for the stones. And then suddenly people begin to walk away, one by one, until it's just her and this man, this teacher, this rabbi, Jesus. And she's in front of the creator of the universe, and the conversation he has with her is, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one. <laughs> They're gone. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus was the only one that could have thrown a stone, right? And he didn't. And the other people were wise enough not to throw stones and leave. But I love what he says. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus called it what it is. It was sin. It was wrong. He knew the heart of the situation. He, he knew what the Pharisees were going through, and they were sinful, and they were wrong just as well. But what she did was still wrong. And he still called her to repentance. And he had a life-changing conversation. I bet this woman remembered this conversation the rest of her life. This was a, a turning point, hopefully, in her life. That she looks back on, and I'll never forget that. You guys ever had one of those? A life-changing conversation before? 
something that you look back to and you're like, oh, man, that was tough, but I needed that. I think back to, I think I was, I was a sophomore in high school, and it was with my, with my dad, and my dad is a pretty, he's just kind of a, he's really optimistic, he's kind of goofy, he like prides himself in being a child at heart, and he's always like, he'll like hang out at the campus, guys, hey, what's up, do you have the building? He always will like play basketball and be like, oh, it's a, he called me his younger brother because he wants to be young and all that stuff. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of his general demeanor towards life. Like the craziest thing could be happening and my dad just like, hey, good to see you. Um, and I love him for it. It's awesome. I love his optimism. Um, but there's one time where I was being a punk and I hated school, hated life, I couldn't stand anything. Nothing was going right. Hey, Brett, how's your day? how's your day? Fine, fine. <laughs> Go upstairs. Fine. That's all I would talk to my friends. Fine. And this went on for a few weeks. And remember, we were all. Dad called together a family devo. And when that happens, that means a rebuke Brett session, basically. <laughs> and so we had a family devo, and. And basically comes down, and he didn't even, like, disguise it as a family devo. He just, like, every, he turned to me, and so my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, and myself, we're all together. And then, basically, dad just, he turns to me, and he goes, you are entitled, ungrateful, a little punk. I don't remember saying a little punk, but that's how I interpret it in my head. Where he said, entitled and ungrateful. You think you deserve to live here? What? Who do you think you are? And at the time, I got like defensive. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And like, see my brother over there, like, <laughs> but not like too loud because if mom and dad see you, like, oh, you're next, buddy. <laughs> but I remember looking back and I meditated, I thought about it, and I was a Christian at this point, so I needed to hear it. Um, and I look back at that conversation, and I'm so grateful my dad did that. And I think it sticks out a little more because it's not necessarily like him to do something like that. But it was a wake-up call, and that summer I had a chance to go to, to Kenya. I had a friend invite me to go to Kenya, um, him and his mom. And, uh, and I got to see these kids who were grateful, who had nothing, were absolutely not entitled. But they were happy, and they were, they were joyful, and in their minds, they had everything in the world, everything they could ever need. They didn't have clothes on their back. Some of these kids were orphans. They had nothing, but they had a friend, or they had a high five from someone, or they were just happy. And I looked at my life, and I had so much material, just stuff, you know, I had everything. I had a friend invite me to go to, to Kenya, for goodness sakes, and they paid for my flight. And these kids are happier than me because they were grateful. And it, it made me see this, this contrast, and I was like, whoa. This is exactly what Dad was talking about. <laughs> I think it was like a few weeks after I went there. And I'm so grateful for that conversation. I'm grateful for the experience in Africa as well because it was a wake-up call. It was a turning point. And I believe that this is the same with Jesus and this woman. It was a wake-up call. It was a turning point. My dad was not afraid of speaking the truth, and man, I needed it. And Jesus was not afraid to speak the truth and to call this woman to repentance. Now go leave your life 
of sin. So what's the application? How does this apply to us? We are all that woman. In one way or another. Right? Everyone sinned here. We appear before Jesus. We don't deserve anything. We deserve to be stoned. We have grace, right? And just as Jesus showed grace to this woman, he did the same for us on the cross. So my question is, what is your response to that? Imagine living, imagine being in the crowd when this all happened, and seeing this take place, and maybe you're the ones that you just walked away. You had a stone in your hand, you walked away. And you recognize this woman years down the road, and you learn that she had not changed her lifestyle. Let's say it had gotten worse. What would you think? I would think, what are you doing? You got a second chance. You got a second chance at life. You got, you got a new beginning. You were before the creator of the universe, and you're, you're messing it up? Do you realize the grace you've shown? You, you should have been stoned. That's what I would have thought. If I saw this woman... I would have been indignant about her sin. <laughs> Same goes for us, right? Because we're that same. We're that woman there too. Are you indignant about your sin the same way you would be about her if you were in that crowd? I think also we need to call each other to that same standard that Jesus calls us. We need to speak the truth in love. You know, understand the heart, be calm about it, but speak the truth in love. If you see someone, something in your friend's life, in your spouse's life, tell them. They need to hear it. I'm so glad my dad had that conversation with me. Even if I didn't receive it right at the time, and if I was an entitled punk, I needed to hear it. And I still remember it to this day. We need to have some of those conversations. I'm not saying rebuke everyone left and right, but speak the truth in love, because we all need to hear it. And we all can think back to those conversations we've had in the past, like, man, I'm so grateful for that. Are you lovingly calling those that you love to a holy standard? Because on Judgment Day, you're going to have to give an account for your life, right? Can't get around that. So are you preparing your brother and sister for that account? Are you reminding them, hey, dude, all that matters in life is that you get to heaven and bring as many people with you. So why are you so worried about this? Focus on what matters. Don't miss those opportunities to have those life-changing talks. You know, I love this interaction between Jesus and, and this woman. Um, it's amazing. Jesus has the... Just the right words to say. And next week we're going to look at Peter and Jesus when they're walking on water in another crucial conversation. But I want to encourage you guys to remember to stay calm when things get crazy. See the heart of the situation. Don't miss what's actually going on. See the heart. And then speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. Let's say a prayer and we'll close. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for 
thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your son. And just the example that, that he gives of um, seeing the heart and, and keeping his head in all situations and, and also speaking the truth, God. Uh, I'm so grateful that you sent your son down to, to be relatable, to be a human, to, to go through what uh, the trials and the tribulations that we go through, God. Thank you for uh, him dying on the cross for us. Um, thank you for this family. Thank you for the church. Uh, I pray that we can have an amazing week and be focused on you. Love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.